received from you. God, I pray that you would help me to communicate clearly that which we've got for us tonight. And I pray you'd help us to grow together, Lord God, as we grow in you. That's our goal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So tonight's lesson is on the temple of God. We're going to look at at the temple of God. Our focus element tonight is this. Since our holy God called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, we pursue holiness. So point one in your books there says honoring God with our lives. We're honoring God with our lives. It says this, holiness in a believer's life stems from a desire to honor, to honor God and mirror his holiness. As we pursue a life that causes us to be separate, separate from the world, we move in the opposite direction. We move closer to God. We'll read that one more time without the interruptions. Holiness in a believer's life stems from a desire to honor God and mirror his holiness. As we pursue a life that causes us to be separate from the world, we move in the opposite direction. We move closer to God. We're going to look to the scripture right now, 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses 13 through 16, we'll read through those. It says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That word conversation means our lifestyle. It's not like this discussion that we have, you talk, I talk, back and forth. That's conversation as we think today. But that word conversation, almost every time we see it throughout the New Testament, is talking about our lifestyle, how we conduct ourselves, our conversation. And then verse 16 says, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So first question, why does the Lord call us to be holy? Put verse 16 back up there for me. Because he is holy. You see how that works, guys? There's a scripture up there, and the answer's like right in it. It's pretty awesome. Um, it's like an open book test. <clears throat> All right, number two, in what specific ways does the Lord call us to be holy in verse 15? So I'll have you put verse 15 up there. Normally, I just have my computer right here, and I do this myself. I've got... My, uh, my whole life in the hands of Brother Brom right now. So, in what specific way does the Lord call us to be holy? In all manner of conversation. Every area of our life, right? In every area of our life, we're called to be holy. Now, what are some ways in which we can be holy in our conduct? You don't get to cheat. This one's not on the board. Somebody help me out. What are some ways that we can be holy in our conduct? Speech? Okay. Relationships. Responses to others. I'm sorry. Our modesty, our what? Our prayers. Okay. Very good. Now, these are all very good answers. Might have helped a little bit if I discussed this with you first, but I didn't. I wanted to see what we came up with. But we're going to look at uh, what actually holiness is. So what is holiness? One aspect of the word holy is to be set apart unto God. Now, not just set apart. Set apart is good, but we're not, excuse me, we're not just set apart. We're set apart unto God. Now, there's a difference there. You see that that's important that we realize what we're set apart to, okay? Because set apart, you're, if you're just set apart, that means you're just an outcast, right? You don't have any friends. You're just set apart. 
but set apart unto God means that we're not left alone. We're not lonely. We're not on our own. We don't have to do this life by ourselves. We don't have to worry about what uh, other people think or the way that other people will view us because we are set apart unto God, okay? That holiness, that separatedness unto God. Uh, this meaning is further than explained by the word consecrated, which means to be dedicated to God for a specific purpose. So the topic of holiness has a lot of different facets, and it can't be fully described in just one or two sentences. Obviously, we understand that, but we looked at, at 1 Peter, and uh, Peter was actually quoting Leviticus 19, and we won't put that on the screen, but Leviticus 19, 1 and 2, and this comes directly after his description of salvation uh, as an incorruptible and living hope, and it pro it's provided to us as a product of God's mercy. Now, because of God's great mercy, he's given us a hope that's not dead, but instead it's a living hope. And it's demonstrated when we follow God's instruction to be holy as he is holy. Translation in modern day English so that we just take all that woo and bring it down where we live. That's what I prefer to do. It makes it easier for me to understand. I can only assume that makes it easier for everyone else to understand. So what we're saying then is that we're not just doing our own thing for our own reason for whatever come what may. Just, you know, go out there and be weird. No, that's not the call. The call is to be set apart from the world to God for a specific purpose. And that's what we mean when we talk about holiness. So we're looking at what that call is. Now, Peter established the elements of holiness with four parameters. If you're writing notes, take these notes down. Uh, the first parameter is to prepare your mind for the effort that will be required to keep it focused on the things of God. Prepare your mind, if you want to say it that way. Prepare your mind, because it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some effort. It's almost like uh, they should have put a scripture in the Bible that said, like, present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But that's just what I would have put in there. Oh, no, no, we have that scripture. We have that scripture. We're, we're going to require some effort. There is some living sacrifice element to living for God to living dedicated to God. So the very first thing that we do before you take on any challenge, the important thing to do is to get your mind in the right place. Now, have you ever just looked at a task and been like, there's no chance I'm ever going to be able to do that? Raise your hand if you've ever done that in your life. Now, what is your success rate going into a task with that mentality? Very little. Very, very little. You might just surprise yourself one time, but... 99 times out of 100, if you go into something with a mentality, I'll never be able to do it, guess what? You're probably not going to succeed very many of those times. But if you've prepared your mind to get the right mentality that says, this is what we're doing, and this is why I'm going to do it, even more so, this is how I'm going to do it, then we've got ourselves ready, prepared to go into whatever the task at hand may be. Now, specifically right now, we're talking about living separated and dedicated unto God. If you just walk into church for the very first time, you've never, never heard of God, never experienced God, never heard the word holiness and didn't know what it meant, and all of a sudden, you're like, okay, I have to be completely different from the world, and I have to live like Jesus. Let's start now. What's your success rate going to be? Pretty close to zero is my guess. God works miracles. It can happen. But the success rate on that is going to be pretty low. Because why? You haven't prepared. You don't understand. 
You don't have any connection to it. You don't have any reason to do it yet, right? And so we need to make sure that when we're getting ready for this, we're prepared for what's coming ahead. Now, number two, nobody's going to like this one, I promise, because it's completely anti-flesh. Number two is this, exercise self-control. You're like, you lost me at exercise. (laughs) And then it didn't get any better when you added (laughs) self-control. Exercise self-control. Now, that could be a 14-part series, or it can just be two words. It's a hyphenated word. Does that count as one word, self-control? Exercise self-control, it's a hyphenated word. You know, there's a, there's a fine line between hyphenated words. <laughs> we all got there. Okay. All right. So exercise, exercise self-control. That's one of the, uh, the second point when, uh, when Peter's establishing these elements of holiness. Exercise self-control. Number three, let all your hope be in the grace of God. The reason that I have hope, not just trust, this is beyond, like, not faith, hope. The reason that I have hope is because of the grace of God. What does that mean? How do, how do I translate that in today, into today's vernacular? If I don't have a, a hope in God, I don't really have any reason to believe that I can do what he's calling me to do, that I deserve to live a life for him. I don't have any reason to think that, oh, maybe God can use me. Maybe God can take my brokenness. Maybe God can take my faults and my failures, my shortcomings. Maybe God can take all of those things and give it back to me. I don't know who's calling me right now, but it's not a good time. Um, No, no, that has happened before. Uh, That that has happened before. Uh, It's not this time. I don't think, I didn't really look that close. But so let all our hope be in the grace of God. Number three. And then number four, be obedient, in parentheses, trusting as a child, that childlike faith. Be obedient to the things of God you're learning now instead of living sinfully as you were uh, when you were ignorant of God's plans and desires for you. Now, if you don't have any idea about God or who He is or what He's calling you to, none of this makes any sense. And you know what? Nobody would ever try and hold you accountable to something you didn't know about. That's fair, right? That's fair. So now we're like, oh, well, you know, uh, I'm I'm just going to live in ignorance then because it's easier that way. (laughs) Let's put that in today's world and see how that works out. Anybody ever been driving down a road and you either missed it or you're sure there wasn't a speed limit sign for like the last lot of miles. And so at that point, it's my opinion that I get to decide what the proper speed limit is. See, everybody agrees with me except the guy with the lights on top that pulls me over and says, you know what? It's actually only 30 here, not 76. Uh, You know, whatever. So now, do I get to tell the officer in that situation, well, I didn't know There wasn't a sign. Is that going to help me? I can try. It doesn't doesn't really help. It doesn't really benefit. So let's look at this and apply this uh, principle spiritually. When I go to the throne of judgment, do I get to say, oh, well, I didn't see the sign. How's that work? 
Nobody laughed at that one. That's a little more sobering, isn't it? Okay, so we can't just trust in ignorance. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us that there was a time of ignorance that God winked at, but that time is past. Now, we do still live in a dispensation of grace, which means that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. But it does not mean that we get to approach the throne at judgment time and say, ah, I didn't know. Nobody explained it to me. Nobody showed it to me that way. Nobody opened the Bible to me. We don't get that excuse. We don't live in a time where ignorance is an acceptable excuse. Okay? So we need to make sure that we are obedient to the things of God that we are learning. Now, if we're learning them, that means it's like an active thing. The ING makes it active, right? We're continually doing it, which means that I am still learning. I don't just get learnt and then I'm done. That's a southern term. I think there's about six people in here who are with me on the get learnt. Okay, but I don't just get to get learnt one time and then I'm good. That doesn't help me progress. I don't grow. I have to be learning. Learning, which means it's active. It's continual. I have to be, keep doing it, which means I don't get to say, oh, well, been walking in those church doors for 15 years, so count me off the learning part. I'm already learnt. We don't have scripture for that. I don't have anywhere in the Bible that I can tell you that you get to stop progressing in God. And let me ask you this as a question. Would you want to? And if you would, why? Now, everybody's like, nope, don't want to. But then we take a look in the mirror and we're like, eh, well, maybe I actually do by my actions. Sorry, that's not in the notes. I'll just move on. I'll, I'll get back where people don't throw things. Okay. So, to be holy, to be set apart, to be separated for a purpose, a person must choose to be consecrated unto God, understanding that he has a purpose for our lives. Consecrating or separating oneself unto God's plan and purpose with, uh, will motivate a person to be separated from sin as a lifestyle and to dedicate oneself to the persistent pursuit of God's purpose in our life. Now, we talked the, at the very beginning, we said honoring God with our lives, and it's a desire to honor God and mirror his holiness. Now, here's the thing. We're not trying to be separated from the world. You might have heard me teach this before or talk about this before. Our goal is not to be separated from the world. Our goal is to be separated to God. Now, by natural process, my separation to God draws me away from the world. I like visual images, so I'll show you this way. I wish, it doesn't really work out like this in the spiritual realm, but we're just going to show you. Okay? So the world's over here and God's over there. We like to have this idea that we can ride the fence. You guys heard that term? Just kind of sit in the middle. Just, you know, one foot in the church and one foot in the world, and this is where I'm going to live. Well, that's not the picture that we get in the Bible. We're like, oh, I like the gray area. It's more comfortable. I don't like that black and white situation. Let's live in the gray. There's no gray in the Bible. It says that the world is over here and that God is over there. So I stand here with a choice. I can be separated to the world, which means I'm going to live like the world, do like the world, be like the world. I'm going to do everything that the world does, everything that appeals to my flesh, the pleasure of sin that's, that's a pleasure for a season. I'm going to do those things, and that's how I'm going to live my life and lead my life by just what appeals to my flesh. And by nature, what has that done to me and God? It's separated me from God. 
Now, if my attitude is that I want to be separated from the world, then what does that look like? That looks like God's back here, and I'm just trying to keep some distance from between me and, me and the world. So if the world's over there at the wall right now, well, I'm separated. I'm, I'm pretty separated. Now, if there's like a, a, a crazy thing happens, I could jump over there and like, three steps, but I might rip my pants, so I won't do it. But I'm, I'm somewhat close still to the world, right? So I'm like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm separated from the world. But where, if, with that mindset, being separated from the world, where are my eyes? Where am I looking if I'm separated from the world? Where am I looking? It's not rhetorical. I need help. Where am I looking? At the world. My focus is on the world if my separation is from the world. You see how that doesn't work? Because where's my attention at? Right here. What am I going to be pulled to? The things that my eyes are on. What am I going to gravitate towards? The things that my eyes are on. Oh, but God's back there, and I can just call him up, call him up, tell him what you want. Right? Jesus on the main line. We're like, oh, well, that's not how that works. I don't get to flirt with the world, be in a relationship with the world, and then just on Sunday morning or just when I get a doctor's report or just when something bad happens, I'm like, oh, you know what, God, I want you to hear me. I want you to answer my prayers. I want you to meet my needs. I know you're over there and I'm over here, but I, I just, I, right now I need you to be close to me. It's tough to think about it that way. It's easier to live it that way, but it's tough to think about it that way when we actually say it and verbalize what's happening. So if my mentality is to be separated from the world, my focus stays on the world. But if my mentality, my idea of holiness being separated unto God for a purpose, that keeps my eyes where? on God. And so that means that every day I'm trying to get closer to him. I want to be more like him. I want to talk to him. I want to walk with him. I want to be in his word. I want to listen to the things that he says. I want to be closer to him. I want to know what his will is for my life. And just by nature of separating myself to God, where am I now? Way away from the world. Because that's how that works. My separatedness is not from the world. My separatedness is to God. My holiness is not for the world to see. My holiness is for God to see. My holiness is to bring me closer to him. And as a result, it separates me from there. So the idea that holiness is the world gets to do this and the church doesn't. They can do that and I can't. They get to go there and I can't. They get to wear this and I can't. They get to say this and I can't. They get to think that and I can't. They get to watch this, and I can't. That's not holiness. That's legalism. That's a mindset that will draw you back to the world because it's all about negativity, what I can't do, what they get to do, what the world is, what the blessings of the world look like, and that's all the time going to pull me closer to the world, which as a result pulls me where? Further away from God. So my holiness, my separatedness is unto God, and by nature that separates me from the world. It's like, oh, it sounds like semantics. You're just, oh, you're saying the same thing. Am I? Not really. Now, being separated unto God, that keeps my focus on God, not on the world. And I promise you, what you focus on, you gravitate towards. Anybody ever been driving down the road and you see something out in the field? And you're like, oh. And then all of a sudden, go, 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 go. <laughs> if they've got the rumble strips. If they don't got the rumble strips, you might hit a pole or something. I don't know. Hopefully that hasn't happened to you. But you tend to gravitate towards whatever you're focused on. Is that fair? In the natural world, that's how that works. So it's safe to say that's how it's going to work in the spiritual world. 
All right, number two. I kind of jumped ahead a little bit, but that's all right because it was fun. Number two, set apart unto God or separated from the world. It's like I gave you a cheat sheet, so you should be ready for this. All right, in your books, our motivation for holiness must be God's command, command to be holy and our desire to be closer to him. As we separate ourselves from the world, our heart and mind will cleave or draw or cling ever closer to him. I love that we use words sometimes that nobody actually ever uses, like cleave. Have you ever used the word cleave in just like your everyday vernacular? You might throw it in there if you're trying to like get bonus points in English or something, but we don't say that. So cling or draw to, right? Hold on to. That's what cleave means. You're grabbing a hold to it. So our motivation for holiness must be God's command to be holy and our desire to be closer to him. As we separate ourselves from the world, our heart and mind will cleave ever closer to him. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, and we're going to read through the first verse of chapter 7. It says, And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, leave that up there for just a second. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's what you're doing when you're cleansing yourself from the filthiness of flesh and spirit. You are perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Almost like your focus should be on what God wants rather than what the world is or isn't doing. Fair? Fair. Because I said so. All right, number one. What did the Lord instruct us not to touch? Put verse 17 back up there. Unclean thing. Very good. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. I've always threatened to get gold stars and just throw them out, but I never have. Yeah. My problem is, what if I get like a ninja star on accident? And, <laughs> whoops. All right. Anyways, what did the Lord instruct us not to touch? Unclean things. You guys are great. You're ready for this. All right. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1. What two things should we cleanse ourselves from? Very good. Filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Now, how can holiness be perfected? And leave that scripture up there. How can holiness be perfected in someone's life? Repenting is a good answer. It helps. It'd be really cool if it was on the screen right now. Like between a couple commas. Anybody? Cleanse ourselves from what? All filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Yes, there we go. That's how we what? Perfect holiness. See how the Bible does that? We've got all these questions like, how could I ever perfect holiness? And the Bible's like, ta-da. It's almost like it'd be beneficial to read it once in a while. All right. It helps. It helps. That wasn't a diss. That wasn't a slam. That was an encouragement. It was an encouragement. The only reason you'd be offended by that is if you weren't already reading. Yeah, no, stop, stop, stop. 
scratch that. All right. All right. Yes, ma'am. Yes, yeah, so, so cleansing is the washing away, right? The washing away. So repentance is a good start on that. Baptism helps us with that. But this isn't talking about um, for just like our, our soul in something that's in God's hands. This is something that's in our hands. Can you put that up one more time for me, 7-1? The, uh, so, so the question was, isn't cleansing part of like the repentance? Isn't that what it is? Now, that's true in a sense. Repentance does cleanse us of our sins. Baptism then washes away the sins, right? So forgiveness and then cleansing, that purifies us. And that's something that we have to take action to, but that's dependent on God. Now, this scripture specifically tells us, you have these promises, dearly beloved. So this is in your hands. Let us... Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. That doesn't say this part's in God's hands. That puts the onus on us. So God can forgive our sins, but it's up to us to cleanse our actions of our flesh and our spirit, okay? So all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Now, that would be like if, uh, so you're correct in that it can cleanse us. In repentance and baptism, they can cleanse us. But that would be like, I come up to the altar, I repent, I turn away from my sins, I jump in the tank, go for a little swim, speak Jesus' name, we're good to go, right? Because we're baptized and now we do all these things. Okay, so now I just get to do whatever I want, live however I want, do whatever I want, and go wherever I want. Is that how that works? Does anybody think that's how that works? Okay, good, because I don't have time to fix it. All right. That's not how that works, all right? So we have, to, we have to take some action of ourselves to cleanse ourselves of the filthiness of flesh and spirit, right? Does that make sense? So there's the difference there. Both of, both of them are important. Obviously, we don't get to salvation. All right, I'm gonna take three and a half seconds here, which is gonna be longer than that, but it makes me feel better. Three and a half seconds here to give you a little explanation. The breakdown of the New Testament, this will help you as you're kind of looking at things and exploring things. So you've got uh, the uh, Gospels, thank you, that word, the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, which give us a principle that we need a Savior, that we need to be saved. You've got the book of Acts, which teaches us how to be saved, okay? And then you've got the epistles, which are letters to the church or other teachers or preachers or ministers, so... And then you've got the book of Revelation, right, which uh, tells you the consequences either way. So these epistles tell us how to stay saved. You can't find your salvation doctrine in an epistle. Why is that? Because they're writing to people who are already a part of the church. The only way that we see people become a part of the church according to scripture is not by signing a roll, not by faithful attendance, but it says when they're baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, as such were added unto the church. That's, how, that's the only way I see anyone added to a church in the Bible. Okay, And so we have to understand then that if these are letters written to a church or to another minister... Paul's not going to waste his time, or in this case, Peter or Paul, they're not going to waste them, their time telling the preacher how to get saved. Because why? Already done it. So we're not looking at salvation here. We're looking at continuing in the faith. So this is another point where we're looking at the difference in the cleansing that's taking place. 
All right, so that kind of gives us a little bit of a synopsis of what we're looking at. We can, we can understand Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, so he's not talking to them about salvation. He's talking about how to stay saved, continuing in the walk with God. So we have to take some action to cleanse ourselves, make sure that we're not doing things we shouldn't be doing. Good? All right. So um, the concept of holiness means that we first become separated unto God. We establish that. We are set apart unto God for his purpose. It's vital that we understand this concept or we may find ourselves pursuing holiness with the wrong motivation, which leads us to legalism. That's not where we want to be. That doesn't really help anybody. If you're following rules for the sake of following rules, that's not really what it's all about. You haven't separated yourself unto God. You've separated yourself unto a rule book. All right. As Christians, we must be set apart unto God, and then our closeness to him produces separation from the world. We talked about that. Being set apart unto God indicates a choice and an intention to get closer to him. Being set apart from the world does not necessarily indicate that we desire to be more like Christ. We just want to be different from the world. See the difference? All right. When you do that, we set the cart before the horse if we pursue separation from the world without first pursuing separation unto God. There's a huge difference. We spent a lot of time talking about it. The pursuit of separation from the world can lead to legalism and rulemaking. Separation unto God is more about pursuing him and embracing the principle that mirroring his holiness helps us to draw closer to him. Our motivation for the pursuit of holiness must be rooted in our desire to be more Christ-like, not more church-like. Whoa! I'm going to read that again. Take a breath. Our motivation for the pursuit of holiness must be rooted in our desire to be more Christ-like, not more church-like. Well, this is what everybody else at church is doing, so this is what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to show up to church looking like everybody else at church, but then when I walk out the doors, I'm going to do whatever I want. Eh, that doesn't help my relationship with God when I'm trying to be more like the church. That might help my relationship with the church for a little bit. Ooh, ooh, I almost did it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stop. All right. Whew, I almost got in trouble. Uh, it wouldn't have got me in trouble except with you guys. You might have got mad. All right. Anyways, we're good. We're going to move on before uh, I do it. I'm not going to do it. All right. So this is what restraint looks like. Self-control. Exercise. Self-control. I just did it. I'm sweating and I self-control. There we go. All right. So separated to God, right? For a purpose. That's what we're looking at. All right, number three. Number three in your books. We're moving quick. You're like, no, we're not. <laughs> number three, set apart unto God for a purpose. God has a purpose for each person he saves. We're all called not only to be holy, but to serve the Lord with the gifts and talents he has given us. God has a purpose for each person he saves. We are all called not only to be holy, but to serve the Lord with the gifts and talents he's given us. Uh, we're going to look at Exodus 29, verses 1 through 4. 
And this is the thing that thou shalt do unto them, to hallow them, to minister unto me in the priest's office. Take one young bullock and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, and cakes unleavened tempered with oil, and wafers unleavened anointed with oil, of wheat and flour shalt thou make them. And thou shalt put them into one basket, and bring them in the basket with the two bullocks and the two rams. And Aaron said, uh, and Aaron and his sons, I'm going to try this again because words are apparently difficult. And Aaron and his sons thou shalt bring unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and shalt wash them with water. All right, so what was required of the priests before they were able to minister before the Lord? No, not that part. That was the sacrifice. What was required of the priests? I'll give you a hint. The priest was Aaron and his sons. To be washed. So before they could be ministers of the Lord, they had to be washed or made clean. Okay? They had to be purified, cleansed. Holy? All right. Why do you think that God requires a process of making holy those who serve him? I'm sorry? Because he is holy. That's excellent. Anybody else? Anybody else? No? TJ. Okay, I'll answer. Why do you think that God required a process of making holy those who served him? Because if I don't show up any different than the people in the world, I don't give them anything to aspire to. If I don't show them that there's a hope, that there's a better life, if I don't show them that there's a purpose you can live for, if I don't show them there's another way to walk through this life, if I don't show them what it looks like to be able to bring a burden to the Lord, if I don't show them what it looks like to be able to separate myself unto God for a specific purpose, I'm not giving them anything to aspire to. And that kind of uh, drawing people evangelist, whatever you want to say, that kind of uh, attention doesn't build relationship with God. That kind of uh, attention might build church attendance for a couple weeks until they get bored, but I haven't really given them anything to aspire to. I'm like, hey, we accept everybody. Everybody come on in. Stay just the way you are. Jesus loves you. We do too. You're like, oh, you're making fun of that. You don't think everybody can come? Absolutely. Everybody can come. This is for whosoever will, the way that Jesus said. But what did Jesus also say? It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come unto repentance, which means he wants everybody to come, but he doesn't want them to stay the same. He wants their life to be turned around and walking the opposite direction. You understand that's what repentance is? It's not just saying, I'm sorry, I made a mistake, and then keep going the same way. Repentance means to turn around. So I'm walking this way, I don't say, oops, sorry, tripped, keep going. That's not repentance, that's apologizing. And if you continue doing the same thing you just apologized for, it wasn't even genuine in the first place. So at this point, we're not talking about apologizing. God's calling people not to say, I'm sorry, but to repent, which means to turn away and go the opposite direction. So his will is not that any should perish, but that all should come to him and turn away from their sins and go the opposite direction. I was living like this. Now I'm living like this. That's repentance, and that's God's will. So yes, I believe that absolutely anybody can come, and I want absolutely everyone to come. But the mistake is thinking that everyone can come, should come, will come, and stay exactly the same. If that's the image that the ministers give, we're not giving people anything to aspire to. 
So for God to say that the people that are going to minister should first be cleansed, be holy, be separated, there should be a difference. All right. Uh, okay. How do you think this principle compares to our life today, this principle of, of uh, the ministers having to be cleansed? How do you think that compares to our lives today? I kind of just kind of gave you most of an answer. The way it really works is we've actually got a, a dunk tank back there, and as pastor walks through the door, we cleanse him. We just wash him real fast, and then he gets to come out here. No, it's not like that. Nor should we think that's how it is for us. What do you mean? Well, I'll tell you. I'm almost, I don't know what time we're supposed to get out. Let's pretend there's not a clock. We'll just get through it when we get through it. All right, we'll be good. We'll be good. All right. The idea that I can live however I want, do whatever I want, say whatever I want, act however I want, and then I walk through that little metal door, or the glass doors if you go in on the wrong side of the church. Uh, it, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't know what happens sometimes. You come in and you're just like, ooh, wash me over, and now I just get to stand in the presence of the Lord, and everything's great and awesome because you know I just got cleansed, and then I just go back out into doing whatever I wanted. That just... That feels fake. That feels dirty. That feels like you're not really progressing. You're not really walking anywhere with God. So when we say things like cleanse yourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, that is what perfecting holiness looks like. That means that it's a day-to-day thing. As I go about my job, as I go into school, as I uh, walk through the grocery store, as I'm playing your video game, whatever you're doing, we should be doing it in a way that's different than what everyone else does that's set apart unto God. And you're like, how can I play that video game and be set apart unto God? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. All right. But you see what I'm saying? It's got to be something that is not just when we walk through the doors we're set apart because that's not really set apart to God. That's set apart to the church. We're trying to be more church-like not more Christ-like. And that's when we come into a lot of problems. That's when you see, you see some really kooky, crazy things out there across a lot of different religions. And I'm not going to pretend like we don't do anything weird in Pentecost. But you see a lot of things and you're like, how do you get there? <laughs> how do you get there? You say you believe in the Bible and how do you get there? I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to offend anybody. But uh, how do you get there? The way you get there is by putting too much man where God should be. And then we're just like, oh, well, I'm going to be more like man. I'm going to be more like this guy. I'm going to do more what this guy says. I'm going to do more like this. And then it's like, oh, well, grandpa did it this way, so now I'm going to do it this way. Grandpa did it that way, so now grandma was three generations deep, so far be it from me to cut that family tie. That's getting us church-like. And I'll say this as a card-holding licensed minister with the United Pentecostal Church International. Religion has never saved anybody. Relationship with God is what saves people. So it doesn't matter what the church sign says. If what we're doing, if what we're preaching, if what we're walking and living lines up with the word of God, call yourself whatever you want. Make up your own name for a religion. I really don't care. If you're preaching what the word of God says, it's good with me. Matter of fact, Paul said, even if somebody like me comes to you or even if an angel comes to you and preaches something different than what's in this book, 
Don't listen. Let him be accursed. He's not the one for you. So I don't care if the sign says UPCI and somebody gets up there and starts preaching something that's different than what the word of God tells you. That is not what we listen to. Oh, well, they've got a card. I don't care about the card because it's not about your religion. It's about the relationship with God and his word. And if his word says it, that's where we need to live. That's where we need to dwell. And that's where we need to pursue. So the pursuit of being separated unto God without pursuing his purpose for our lives will lead us to frustrations. You're like, oh, well, I've been doing, you know, uh, all this, this separation. I'm trying to get closer to God, but God's calling you to do something. And you're like, I don't really want to do that. Why am I being frustrated? Why is life hard? Why do I feel like I'm constantly battling? Because you are. (laughs) If you're trying to live separated to God, but not live for his purpose for your life, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to live in frustration. All right, when our primary goal is to be separated from the world instead of being separated unto God, we can become enthralled with our separatedness and begin to compare ourselves to the world instead of comparing ourselves to God and his word. The pursuit of being separated from the world leads to legalism. The pursuit of being separated unto God's purpose leads to transformation. That's what we're after. Transformation. All right, last point, number four. Number four, God's purpose in calling his people to holiness. To understand God's purpose for holiness in our lives, we need to understand the nature of sin and temptation. When we realize that sin leads to death and that God's ultimate purpose for us is life everlasting with him, it helps us to understand our mandate to be holy. James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Leave verse 15 up there for me. What is the ultimate result of sin? It's inspiring, isn't it? Verse 14. Who bears the ultimate responsibility for being tempted? The devil. Oh, you mean it's my fault? Wait a second. It's easier to blame it on the devil. The devil made me do it. That person walked by and did that thing, and that's their fault. That's not what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of someone else's ideas of his own lust and enticed. All right, so we got to take a little bit of responsibility for our actions. That's not fun. Nope, but we got to do it. All right, what steps can we take when we face temptation? Huh? Self-control. I heard something. Walk closer to God. What's up, brother? Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Absolutely. We have scripture for that. It's kind of good. What else can we do? Separation. That's really good. What did Jesus do when he was tempted? Sister Lear, I knew she'd get it. He quoted scripture. He used the word of God. If he was supposed to be our example, and when he was tempted, he recited scripture, which means that he had to have memorized scripture, what might it be a good idea for us to do when we're tempted? Recite some scripture. You can't wait till you're tempted to memorize it. If you wait till you're tempted, that's going to take a little bit longer than just memorizing in the moment. 
So this is like why David would have said something like, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. So when I'm tempted, I can quote scripture. When I'm drawn away of things that appeal to my flesh, I can remind myself that I'm not just trying to be different from the world, but I'm trying to be separated unto God, that I wanna be more like him, that he has called us, right? You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, which means you're different from everybody else. Why? That you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, reminding ourselves of these things that God has called us, not just called us, but called us for a purpose. This water bottle is doing some teaching right there. I don't know. All right. So pursuing holiness is not the pursuit of a list of do's and don'ts. We've got this wrong for a long time. A lot of generations got this wrong. Pursuing holiness is not the pursuit of a list of do's and don'ts. Rather, it's the pursuit of God by an individual. When we get close to him, we have no choice but to be further from sin, and that's the entire point. All right, I'm done with my notes here. I'm going to take a couple minutes, hopefully not make you too mad, but this is what we're going to do. All right. Our pursuit of holiness is not about a list of do's and don'ts. There was a generation, there were a lot of generations that preached, taught, shared a list of do's and don'ts. And you want to know what? It worked for that generation. Why? Because there was a respect for authority and the things of God. There wasn't somebody every second on Google, can you find that in the scripture? Where does it say I have to wear a sleeve that's down to my elbow? Where does it say this? Where does it say I can't go to the bar? I don't see that in scripture. That's because... We're not taking every second to try and rebuke the authority that God's put in our life. They weren't taking every minute they could to try and undermine the spiritual authority. They weren't taking every opportunity to consult Google or consult this group or that group or that Facebook friend and see why their church says something different than my church. They weren't trying to constantly find a reason to not listen to the man of God. But our culture today, our generation, my generation, and the ones under me have this idea and this mindset that, oh, well, if you can't show it to me black and white, then bless God, it's not for me. Nobody else has any say. It's me and mine. The Bible says for me to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, and that's just what I'm going to do. We're ignoring a lot of scripture if that's the soapbox that we're going to stand on. But for whatever reason, that's the mentality and the mindset that we've gotten into. And that's the reason, whoo, that's the reason that people look at Pentecostals and say, they're just a bunch of legalists. They're just a bunch of rule doers. They're just a bunch of rule followers. And we get into the church and people want to say, oh, well, how come you're not following this rule? How come you're not following that rule? Why do you even have this rule? And it's not about respecting authority. It's not about the word of God. It's not even about my relationship with God. It's about a list of rules of do's and don'ts on a piece of paper. And my God, that's not holiness. That's not separatedness to God. That's separatedness to a church. That's separatedness to a piece of paper. That's separatedness to a list. And that's not what I want my holiness to be about, is about a list. Holiness, as we've spent the last few minutes talking about, is about my desire to be more like God and to draw closer to him. And anything that I can do to get closer to Jesus Christ will naturally separate me from the world. Now, is there times that it's beneficial for a man of God to get in a mic or a pulpit and lay down what you should and shouldn't do. Absolutely. And I thank God for it. God gave a man of God authority over our lives. And we think that word authority and we get terrified. Oh, not in my life. Mm -mm. 
We throw up a defense as soon as we hear authority. But do you realize the reason that God has given us a spiritual authority is not to beat you over a head with a club, but to build a hedge of protection around your life, a shepherd to keep you, and not just to guide you and tell you where to go, but to beat away the enemy that's trying to come and attack the flock. That's why we have a man of God. That's why we've got someone to fill a pulpit. That's why we've got someone to tell you you need to straighten up and fly right. That's why we've got someone to say what you're doing, how you're doing it, isn't going to get you closer to God. You're like, oh, well, I don't like my toes to be stepped on. Well, as they said a couple decades ago, bless God, wear some steel toes and get to church, right? I don't care about your toes getting stepped on if it's drawing you closer to God. I don't care if you're a little bit uncomfortable when pastor starts calling out some things that are impacting your life because it's not about you and your comfort. It's about you getting closer to God and living as a living sacrifice for him. Nobody else, not for pastor. That's not what it's about. It's not about doing it for the pulpit. It's not about doing it so that you can be involved in this ministry or that. The reason that we separate ourselves is just purely 100% so that I can get closer to God. And if you're doing it for any other reason, I would challenge you to look in the mirror and understand why am I doing this? That isn't giving anybody a license to say, oh, well, I quit this thing. It ain't for me. No, it's challenging you to understand the reason that you're doing it. And the reason that I've set some parameters in my life is because I don't want to be like the sinful world. I want to be closer to God. I want my focus to be on him, not... Jesus said, be ye holy for I am holy. Touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. He said, be holy as I am holy. So this turns us all the way back to the very beginning. And I promise I'm finishing right now. All the way back to the very beginning. He said this, we need to be separated unto God, not separated from the world. Why is that? Because of our focus. If my focus is on a holy God who says, be ye holy, for I am holy, I don't even have a visual or a mindset or a mentality that is anything about the world. So it's not about comparisons. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's not about they can and I can't. It's not about any of those things. It's simply about looking at a picture of a holy God and getting as close as I possibly can to that God. That goes from my mindset, that goes from my actions, my words, my attitudes, my prayer life, my devotion life. That goes through the way that I walk, the way that I talk, the way that I present myself, the way that I am at work, the kind of student that I am. That goes through all of those things. It's separated to God. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do with all your heart. I shouldn't walk into to my work and be the laziest person on the job. If I am, I'm not being a very good witness. That's not holiness. That absolutely is holiness because that's being separated unto God for a bigger purpose. And what is our purpose? Matthew 28, 19, he gave us all a purpose. Anybody tell me what it is? Go ye therefore into all the world and what? Preach the gospel, proclaim the word of God everywhere that you go. In everything that you do, we are supposed to go to teach, to show that Jesus Christ is a better way, a different way, another way. And I can't do that if my focus is on the world. I only do that when my focus is on Jesus Christ and drawing him closer. Amen? Amen. Amen. They're dismissing out there, so we'll go ahead and let you go in here. That's what we say back there, so I was just pretending. All right. God bless. What a wonderful opportunity we had to look at some of the word of God.